At this time, extend your hand towards the heaven and touch the tears of God as the most powerful men in Canada discuss Top Tech. This week, Great Abs. Mm-hmm. I, I have some very strong opinions about what makes a good app. Good. Well, tell us some of your strong opinions, Ian. Not a web app. <laughs> yeah. HTML5 apps have a lot of interesting flexibility of being completely outside of whoever's controlling the store for your product. But the quality of the applications themselves so far are pretty terrible compared to native apps that are developed for the, the platform that you're using. There's some good reasons for that, too. Namely, it's the ability to run code that runs at a native speed within the platform it's on. The ability to access certain bits of hardware in a, uh, in a more direct way. And the ability to access native Chrome for the application, the way it looks and feels. It makes it uh, feel like more like an app that, that should be on the device that you're running. And I just want to point out here that uh, we are all iPhone users. I think there's only one web app I've used. It's a weather one called Sun. It's quite nice looking, and it constantly annoys me. I don't want location services on by default for all web pages. So when I launch this web app that wants my location service, it asks me, I want to use your location. And I say, yes, you can use my location. I quit it, and I launch it the next time, and it says, I want to use your location. I said, I I told you last time that you could use my location, but because... It's not a native application that can save those settings. It has to go by what the default for a web browser is because it is a web app. And then it will only be able to go with those default settings and have to ask you each time if you want to break from the default. I did also want to mention there that even though we are all three of us uh, iPhone users and iOS users, the sort of points we want to make here will really transfer over to all sorts of platforms. And I think that the first idea of what makes a good app, in my opinion, is getting the look and feel of your host operating system right. It doesn't matter if your app is the most functional thing in the universe. If it's a pain to use or it feels out of place, if, like, if I feel like I'm stepping into 1975 Soviet Russia just to check your weather, then you're doing it wrong. You're taking me out of the experience or of using this device and just throwing me into cognitive dissonance mode. Keeping it within the design scheme of what you're used to within whatever platform you're using, often probably one of the reasons why it's difficult to switch between developing applications for different platforms. You know, the conventions and user interfaces of Windows and Mac, and you see this all the time, and and Android and iOS, you'll see an application that was developed on one platform, and they've just used the exact same interface and put it on a different platform. It sticks out like a sore thumb, and it's awkward to use, and it feels different than all the other applications. And it might have all the functionality you want to use, but it's annoying to use if you're not designing the app to work within the atmosphere, the aesthetics of the operating system you're using, it's going to be problematic. Actually, let me elaborate on that just a bit more here. Using a good app makes you forget that you're using the device that you're on. Like if you're using a good app on the iPhone, you forget that you're using an iPhone and that application just suddenly becomes the entire device that you're using. A really good application meant that you were using that tool. Like... This tool is a calculator. My iPhone all of a sudden becomes a calculator. I don't think about the rest of the iPhone when I'm using it. I'm just using a calculator or a camera or whatever I want to use because the application is so seamlessly uh, designed to just be such a great function for that. 
it's the perfect calculator experience at that point. It helps with these new touch-based interfaces. You're not limited to hardware buttons that are the same for every application because the interface you're dealing with is basically just a giant screen that you can put anything you want there that the device becomes whatever you want it to be. And good application developers recognize that and really take advantage of that. So the device is that thing for when you're using it. Point number two of what (laughs) makes a good app, a fair price. I don't mean to say cheap or free or goes on sale regularly. I mean a fair price that I'm paying a decent amount of money to make sure that I get all the functionality I want out of it and that the developer is getting enough money that they need to survive and continue working on the application. Applications that are free or really cheap make me worry that either A, the developer might go out of business and then I won't be able to get new updates of that software, or B, they're making money some other way that I'm not really too happy with, like selling my information to someone or selling advertising to me through a third party. I'm not really comfortable with that, and I'd rather pay a fair amount of money for an application so that I know where the developer's getting their money from for this, and also so that I can have a reasonable expectation that, you know, as long as the developer is still enjoying making the application that, and they're making money off of it, that it will continue to stay around and I'll be able to have this to use for years to come. And from the other side of the spectrum, that you're not getting gouged as well. All people that make content should be fairly compensated for it. It's just kind of a moral thing as well. Well, it's, it is. But quite frankly, I still don't want to pay 20 bucks for Final Fantasy Tactics again. Yes. There's other problems with that application, too. The, the final point I want to make, though, about what makes a good app, to me at least, good support. That the app continues to be actively developed that new features are put in, that bug, fe- bug feces, that bug fixes are, are given away free or at least made, that bug fixes are regularly given away to the user, and that when a new OS update comes out or new changes are made to the, the hardware platform, that the application, where necessary, takes advantage of those. I've started to realize that it's probably not very supportable to continue to expect brand new, exciting, new, huge, awesome features from your software for free forever once you've paid 99 cents for the application when you got it two years ago. So I'm not against the idea of new, complete versions of software coming out that have a bunch of new features that I pay more money for if I want those new features. It's hard, I guess, for developers, especially in, I would expect, Android and iOS, to continue to support multiple versions of applications because there's no upgrade path in iOS anyway. You can't pay money to upgrade the version you've got. You basically just either buy a whole new piece of software or you continue to get free versions of it. I guess the one a- other aspect that you could do is you could add features as things that you can buy within software. Ian and BJ, have either of you guys ever bought new functionality from the in-app purchases in, in an application before? I bought a uh, expansion level for a game called Braveheart. I haven't played it in a while because they haven't released any new expansion levels recently. <laughs> I think the game might have been free to start with, and then I spent 99 cents to crack open a bit more of it, and then I think I spent another 99 cents to actually get the final, the next level, and and I thought, well, this is the continuation of of a game that I've played through for the last however many hours I've played through it, now I'm going to get an equal amount of content again, is what I was expecting. And all it was is like another six stages, which is something I could take care of in about 25 minutes, and I kind of felt like... I'm glad I spent the 99 cents, but are they going to keep doing that? Because if they would, I think I'd, it's a game I enjoyed enough that I would pay the extra money for 
and they haven't released any new content since that. So I've anytime you are unlocking a new feature, I'm saying a game, but this could be an app. If you're unlocking a new feature of an app that, for example, you want three new fonts or you want the ability to, um, to save as PDF or something like that, I like to see new content kind of show up and continue to show up. I don't ever want to feel like like if you if you're adding an in-app purchase thing into your into your program, I still want to know that more updates are going to come down the pipe. Mm, that that's not the only path for the software to move forward. Yeah, that I know that you know it's not like I'm going to expect that like three versions now you're going to say oh well now PDF save as PDF is free to everybody. You know I'm not thinking about that. What I am thinking about is that I want to know that if I'm paying you for the ability to save as PDF, that I'm also kind of ensuring the continued development of this software. Like Ian was talking about with good support. I'm like, I, I want to know that when I give you the money to unlock this thing that's already part of it, that it's going to spur you on to continued development. Actually, there's a really good example of this in the case of uh, Instacast, the podcatcher application. Mm-hmm. Instacast was $3.99, and I think I bought it, and then... He released a new version, and then BGU bought it. The day we were talking about it, I went and I looked, and it was 99 cents. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting a hell of a deal for the full version of that you spent four bucks on. Awesome. But on the other hand, yes, he did release some bug fixes. It was a major upgrade, too, from 1.5 to, to 2.0. Mm-hmm. And some of the features got stripped out and were made unlockable as in-app purchases for $1.99. Ooh, and the people who had bought the software before it was $0.99 cents lost all those features, too, if they did upgrades. Exactly. And these were, cons- these were considered pro features, quote-unquote. I'm not sure how pro you can get in a podcasting app. But things like being able to make certain playlists and, and changing settings for podcast retrieval on certain playlists individually. I bet you he realized fairly quickly after a backlash that that was probably a mistake. Those are the kind of things that put you in an odd position because when you're a developer – you have to balance that idea of I've made this app that's three ninety nine. I want to pull more people into using this app, uh, and I know there's a major update coming down the pipe. I think in a way it was it was a brilliant move on, on the developer's stance to say that oh well I'm going to drop the price on my full featured app to ninety nine cents. That's going to suck in a bunch of bunch more people, and then everybody who's paid three ninety nine they're kind of like well but I I've got to use it for how many months and it's been a, been a good app. And then he turns around and says, oh, well, there's a brand new feature, there's improved stability, bug fixes, uh, and yeah, I'm moving all of these other features into an Instacast Pro thing. And sure, that's a big kick in the, in the nuts for the people who spent three ninety nine on it already. But those people he wasn't going to be seeing any more revenue from anyway. Well, is it better to have Instacast as a, as a $0.99 cent app and then say, well, now I'm, I'm bringing out Instacast 2 as a standalone app. And if you want to get all these new ultra-cool things, you're going to have to pay another $4 and delete Instacast and now install Instacast 2 on, on your device. And that was a separate debacle in itself if you look back at Tweety and Tweety 2. If it was me, and I, I'm not an app developer, what I would have done is thought about moving to an in-app purchase feature method have a cheaper version of the software, keep the older version of the software that has those features and do regular bug fix updates for a little while with it. So you have a $4 version of the software and a $0.99 version of the software. You can buy the in-app purchases to level that up basically to the full version. And then you don't piss off your original customers that say, oh, well, I can't update to the newest version because I'm going to lose features. And the new customers can get it for more affordable, and if they want those features, they don't have to buy a whole new app that has those features. They can just do it within the application itself. And the downside of that is that now that developer has to support two separate. They have to support Instacast and Instacast Lite. 
It's true. And then at some point you have to say, well, I'm going to stop doing development on Instacast. Instacast Lite is going to become Instacast on its own. And for those of you who have the old version, congratulations, hang on to it. But I'm not going to be doing any updates on it as an example. I have a manga reading application called Manga Rock. And I did not download the original Manga Rock. Uh, my wife did. And she paid the $1.99 or $2.99 it cost to unlock it, to unlock the features, to be able to download stuff and to do all these extra things with it. And then the Monger Rock guys, or maybe it was just Guy, said, well, I'm going to be releasing a new version that's nicer, that's quicker, that all these other things. It, maybe they're not. Maybe it's not any nicer, quicker than his previous code base. He just changed the look of it. Who knows? But I do know that when it came out, it's free, like the original one was, and then you do have to pay another three ninety nine, or in my case, I waited and waited for him to drop it to a buck ninety nine to unlock all the features. And so you have all these people who are like, "Well, now I have to go get the new version that apparently has bug fixes that he's going to keep updating, or I can keep using the old version, but the moment something changes, I'm not going to be able to 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 make a difference to it. I'm not going to be able to update it anymore." Is what I mean to say. But yeah, applications that is an extra element of applications that it's it's hard to talk about in any detail for a long time without coming into the idea that, yeah, it's not just how good your application is, but how you support it and how you support it. And how long you can afford to support it. Yeah, and, and that whole idea, as you suggested, Beej, of forking your development. So you're a small development house, so how can you work on two different applications at the same time? And there's a lot of things to think about that other than just making your application really great. How do you yeah. keep people buying it and how do you keep a revenue stream coming in? Once, as you, Another thing you said, Beach, those people who have bought your software, they're expecting to never have to pay any more money again. Absolutely. And keep on using your software no matter how long and how much work it takes to make that software work on new, newer platforms. That we're going to have more and more developers that are going to be able to not stay afloat because of that. What it behooves us to say then for our audience as geeks, we have, on the periphery, we've been aware of the fact that this is how this works. I mean, we were early adopters in a lot of the sense. Now a lot of other people in the general public who are not as geeky are adopting iPhones and Android phones and all that and, and acquiring apps in the way that they get them. As geeks, if you're not a developer, you're definitely not aware of all the different pitfalls of developing an application in terms of providing support and how much it costs to provide support and how much it costs to continue development and whether you should fork an application or not. The fact is, is that I think that we as geeks, we've just been become aware that these are important issues. And that's something that I think is very important to share with our audience as well, is that when you buy an app, Think about the nature of the person who's developed it as well. Don't just think that, well, this does this just the job that I want. Think about that. The guy who made this, he might only be able to support it for a, a minimum amount of time, and at some point, I might have to pay money again to get the new version of it. Don't think about that as being a downside or a detriment to what it is uh, to, to buying an app, but think of it as being the cost of doing business. So I think in that sense, actually, we haven't just described what a good app is in the sense of what makes it good and nice and fun to use, but also what is a platonically good app? See, and we, and we left out one of my favorite points, but there's no time now. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite point? Any app that you get, buy, free, whatever, it has to do the thing that you want it to do and if it doesn't, then there's no point in having it. A good app is an app that actually accomplishes something that you want it to do, whether that's keeping track of your calendar or making your phone make fart noises. But it usually has one good thing that it can do. 
And I think actually that sums up this particular podcast to a T. Indeed. So with that, we have been the most powerful men in Canada. With me, Ian Horner. Johnny Blakebro. And I never spend any money on applications. I'm Brendan Beach Deary. And we'll see you next time. The most powerful men in Canada would love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at toptech.tiltyhouse.com if you have any comments or if there are any subjects you'd like us to cover in a future show.